Please are standing. Will you please pray with me this opening prayer from Revelation? And then I'm going to read all of Revelation 4 and 5. And the reason why we're going to do that is we've spent one week in Revelation 4, and we spent one week in Revelation 5, and now we're just spending a week looking at them together. And so will you guys pray this first part with me, and then we'll uh, read the rest of the Scripture And so uh, while we're standing. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. And after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carmelian, and all around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightnings and and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, like a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne... And on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you were created, you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scrolls and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slayed with seven horns and with seven spirits, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 
elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and, a, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you had made them a kingdom of priests to God, and they shall reign on earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne the four living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You guys may be seated. I know that was a lot of Scripture at one time. But I believe that we needed to spend one more week in this picture as it is complete. That it is, that it is complete the throne room of God before we move on. God has set this scene up to be central to the rest of the book of Revelation and the rest of the Bible. And it's set up in such a way that it is supposed to, re, it's supposed to orientate our lives. It's supposed to shape who we are as Christians, shape our lives as we long to live for Jesus. In this section of Scripture, Revelation 4 and 5 is to be the guide of our worship and... Worship is one of the most important acts that we can be about in our life. Worship is not just singing some reverential or, or some reverential action, but it is forming who we are. It is forming uh, what we do and why we worship. Worship is a reality-shaping thing in the kingdom of God. And I'd argue that it is reality-shaping in our lives as well. When we worship God, it is an offering that is central to who we are as the people of God. It's unselfish. This is at the very heart of worship. Worship allows us to let go of ourselves, our own ideas, our own worries, our own pains, but also our own pride, our own wealth, our own even if, if, if we have anything where we think ourselves positive or we have self-contempt, we can let go of it in worship. It's utterly selfless. It allows us to let go of the self altogether so that we can surrender ourselves to one that is greater than us. And as we do this, as we surrender our lives to Jesus, give our lives to him, and he in turn blesses us blesses us and he gives us life a life that we could never imagine without him and this scene in revelation chapter 4 and 5 is meant to establish or it's meant to re-establish all of our loyalties all of them in life it is an act of rebellion against the ways of this world it is an act of rebellion 
not only to our political allegiances, although it is certainly that, and our, and our view of who is in charge of this world, but it's also an act of rebellion to the way that we think, the way that we feel. And we're, we are giving that up all to Jesus Christ. And He is the one who is to shape our now and our forevermore. This picture here in Revelation 4 and 5 is also a picture of God, what God has been trying to throw up, show us throughout all of Scripture. In these two chapters alone that we just read, there is so much Scripture reference to. Almost the entirety of the Bible, you can argue, is found in these two chapters. It's referenced to, alluded to, mentioned, borrowed from. There's much of this scene that can only make sense when we can see it throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Exodus to the Psalms to the prophets, both major and minor, to the disciples who followed Jesus and wrote us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to Paul in so much of the New Testament that he wrote. All of it leads us to this throne room before we're to move on. Before we're to move on. In other words, we need the picture that is given to us in this throne room. throne room, And I wish, I hope, and I pray that the picture that Jesus gave us to John and through him, will, it, it was given to shape our lives and it'll do just that. That it'll lead us, that'll instruct us, and it'll give us hope to carry on. As one theologian that I read put it, the vision, speaking of this, these two chapters, the vision first must be contemplated. Then we must absorb the power of its symbols. There's a lot of symbolism in it, right? I mean, there's a lot going on in these two chapters. And finally, must use that power that God gives us to transform our situation. So I pray, Grace and Mercy Church, that we may let, uh, let us absorb this picture that God is showing us. I pray that we may let, as we absorb this picture, that we'll let it transform our allegiances and our situations. I'd encourage us, each of us, over the next week to spend some time in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, just reading through it, thinking through it, looking at it, maybe journaling, writing it down, trying to figure out what's going on here. Spend a bit of time, maybe as you do coffee in the morning or before bed at night, spend a bit of time in this text as, we, uh, as it is moving us to start to contemplate it. And as we contemplate it, may it change us. May we get to lay down the power that we seek and see that the only true power comes from the throne of God. And as we absorb this picture, or this picture gets absorbed into our mind and our heart, may we... Uh, recognize that we are absorbing so much of Scripture. These verses, all, all of these verses in chapter 4 and 5 are massive in scope. As the songs, reveal, as the songs of this scene reveal themselves, they take us on an epic journey that begins in the beginning of the Bible. It begins with who is the God of creation. In the beginning, there was God. And God was over the darkness in the face of the deep. 
And then he said, let us create. And it goes from creation. This is the God that not only can created, but sustains us. And then, and then it actually goes into Exodus as well, where we can see this lamb and this people that need to be redeemed. It begins with creation. And it goes from there. And actually all of the first five books of the Bible could be seen in this throne room. Maybe not all the specific stories, but certainly from the 12 tribes that are represented in 12 of the 24 thrones, their stories are also represented. As the lamb is present, the crucified lamb, the lamb that was slain, we can see that coming from Exodus and Deuteronomy. So it is the understanding that the sacrificial lamb is needed to make the people whole, to make them complete, to make them at one with God. The, organize, the organization and the structure around this throne is also um, a setup of the temple and the way that worship is to be done. It is from these books that we get the Lion of Judah is understood. Judah was one of the founding fathers of Judaism. And Jesus is directly lined up in the Lion of Judah. So it's understood the Lion of Judah is Jesus. And the sacrificial lamb who through his weakness conquered death, conquered punishment, and conquered judgment for us. And we can see that the saving of God's people, that it has to take place in this way. And that it's always been important to God that He rescue His people. So important that He comes to earth and becomes man for us. That there isn't, uh, there isn't any extent that He won't go to to rescue His people. And then we can see in here, we can see throughout the songs as they take shape in much the same way the Psalms do. And when we preached through the Psalms, we did so under the understanding that these were teaching us to prayer. And prayer is an act of worship. Prayer too is saying that we aren't enough. That we need, we need grace and we need mercy and we need repentance and we need forgiveness and we need God's rules and His right laws to live up to. His, his ways and we need Him to lead us, to shape us and guide us. So even in the style of this, context we can see throughout all of scripture and we see that prayer and worship is to be offered to God our father and his one son one and only son Jesus Christ and we can see reference references to both the major and minor prophets if you really take a look at this you will see Daniel 7 to be sure where in Daniel 7 alone has the same setting of the throne room the appearance of the throne is there the people around the throne are there. The scrolls around the throne are there. The Savior who saves people once and for all appear just like Jesus did in this psalm or just like Jesus did in this scripture. And even in Daniel 7, you see every tribe and nation and tongue and people. You see even the emotional distress that John faces is he's, he, he cries because it can't be opened. Daniel faces that as well. And the council around the throne is there laying down their crowns, celebrating God's eternal reign. You also see the saints of the people that God has given the authority as priests here on earth. That's who we are as well. But we also see much of the New Testament. We can see here that true power is perfected in weakness. That the Lamb 
The lion is the lamb who was slain, the son of man. The cost that Jesus endured. When it says, worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seal, or worthy are you to show us what life is all about, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we know that this is a reference to the cross that Jesus went to. The cross is where Jesus was crucified, where he was put to death as the sacrificial lamb to wipe away all the sins once and for all for all his people. And the stains of sin on our life are erased because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus died for us in our place, he exchanged himself, his pure, holy, and perfect self for our broken and sinful and stained selves. And because of this, because of this act that Jesus did, because he is worthy, it's because of this we know we're forgiven. It's because of this, even though we don't always feel like it, we can believe the words that Jesus says that we are pure. We are purchased from slavery, the slavery of sin, and now we are able to commit and walk with Jesus a little bit more. We no longer have to live the same, in the same shackles that we once did. Forgiveness and grace come from Jesus because of the cross. But he didn't stay dead. He didn't just die. Then he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And although the lamb in this picture that is given to us appears to be slain, he also has seven horns on his head, and horns are a picture of symbol of strength. The lion is the lamb who was slain, and he is stronger, more worthy, deserving of all praise than we might be able to give. And in this scene, we can see Jesus more clearly. We get a better, or I think of a, a more complete picture of who Jesus is. And as we see him, and as we spend time with him, and as we meditate and chew and think about this scripture, he becomes more beautiful. He becomes more majestic. And our worship of him can't help but increase. He is gentle as a lamb, but he is also as ferocious as a lion. His grace is unbelievably tender, but it's also unrelenting and overwhelming at times as well. It seeks us out and brings us to a place of worship, a place of proper worship. This isn't forced on us, but as we spend time with Jesus, we can see. As those around the throne room so clearly see as they lay their crowns down and bow down before Jesus and say, Jesus is worthy. He is worthy to receive all power, all wealth, all wisdom, and all might, and all honor, and all glory, and all blessing. And we want to live to honor Him in the same way. But we also see the understanding of much of what Paul wrote. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And even though he, he was dead before this was written... All of what Paul wrote makes sense because of this picture that is given us to us here in Revelation 4 and 5. Jesus' death and burial and resurrection are central and key to our lives. Worship is central to who we get to be as Christians. And as we worship, it will change our lives. It'll change our actions. In fact, I believe if Paul was to comment on this, he would urge us 
and say to us, remember this. Remember this. This is who Jesus is. All glory and honor and blessing goes to Him. And we get to keep remembering this picture. And this picture, in, this picture has so much Scripture in it that time would permit me to list all the ways and references. But the more I meditate on this section of the throne room, the more I bask in God's glory and grace of the Scriptures in total. I believe it gives strength for us to keep going. It's as if this is the fuel and the hope that is needed. There's a lot to come that we will see that won't make sense. And maybe even sometimes this doesn't even make sense. But if we can see God and big and lifted up and on a throne, that'll give us the fuel for the hope that we need to continue on. But this, as I mentioned this Revelation 4 and 5 also shapes us politically. And I'm going to use po politics here and assume that um, politics influence and guide and direct much of our lives. Whether we realize it or not, even if we're not political, politicians and their laws and the way that they set up governments shapes our culture and society. And in these scriptures like these, like this one, have taken me from saying, I'm not very political. I've, you guys have heard me say that over the years. To where I have to say that I am very political if this is what politics is. And if, there, if we were the original hearers of this letter, John wrote this to the seven churches throughout Asian Minor, you would have lived in a Roman providence under Roman rule where the Roman rulers were outlawing forms of worship that couldn't claim Rome and its empire and its emperor as God supreme. The emperor said, me and the, the empire of Rome are God supreme. But because as Christians, we are a new nations of priests and we are, we are saved to serve and worship and live for only God through the son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are worthy, um, they, they alone, Father, Son, Holy Spirit alone, are worthy to receive praise and glory and honor, worthy alone. There is no room for us to give this throne to anyone or anything else. And because of this, Rome had outlawed Christianity as it was just going, getting going. Because they recognized that Christianity couldn't worship Rome in the same way that Rome wanted to be worshipped. This impacted the first Christian's reader's ability to work. If they were a Christian and they got this letter and they said, worship God alone, don't worship the government, it impacted their ability to make money. It impacted how open their meetings could be, like this meeting today. It impacted their ability to seek legal help when they were, felt like they were being persecuted. And they were being persecuted. And it seemed as though nobody but other Christians cared. No one else did anything. We can think of the blacks in South America during apartheid. When they would try and speak up, or South Africa rather, the blacks of South Africa and apartheid, where they'd try and speak up and no one would believe them. No one would listen. They felt 100% silent. Or think of the blacks in slavery. They're, they're saying, this is unjust. 
And then wrong-headed people used even the Bible to say, no, this is just, just get back to work. But we feel mistreated. Nah, it doesn't matter. Get back to work. Or the Jim Crow laws of the South that just kept people under a thumb for so long and still do even to this day. We can think these readers, if you read from that perspective, this is more like what we're getting. I think of, we just, as a family, we just read a story of Indian Christians from, from India who are being persecuted and killed by the Hindu majority right now, 2020, 2021. And there is nothing that they can do. They're being dragged away to jail and murdered because they say, we love Jesus and we want to live for Him and no, we won't deny Him. If we were in that context, we'd be much closer to the context of the original reader. The original reader here is not someone affluent from the West. And if it is, it was someone that was once affluent and now that affluence was stripped away. But they are being persecuted and, and so much is, is at stake in their lives. But at the same time, this beautiful thing is the vision here is encouraging them to not let go of Jesus. To not let go of their trust and their faith that He is the one who rules and reigns over all. And here is how I know this picture changes our political allegiances. Because when we are told that we need to worship someone or something other than Jesus, we can't do it. It's not in us. We can't give up because we know the only one who is worthy of all praise and glory and honor. We know and we have seen through many a Christian martyr throughout history and even in our current day martyrs, who even at the cost of death and torture won't and can't renounce their faith in Jesus because they know that He sits on the ultimate throne. Their, their new political allegiance is stronger than the bonds of death where once they would have not have fought the government and they would have just kind of tucked, tucked their tail and just hidden. But now they can't. They can't, but they obey Jesus at all costs, even the greatest cost. And when this picture in Revelation 4 and 5 sinks down into our souls and we understand who is on the throne and, and we know how in charge He is of all things, all things will work out for His favor and for the favor of His people. It may not be on earth, but we pray that His kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven and may it come quickly. Another reason we get to read this as political and politically subversive is the original context of this. As Christians, we are neither Republican or Democrat or Independent or whatever other word we use politically in our structure. We are... Um, we are never those at the expense of the name that Jesus has given us on the cross, and that is to be a kingdom of priests for His name. And the, in, the original readers of this would have known the edicts of the state. They would have known what the Roman government was saying. They would have known the songs and the procedures of empire worship. 
So here are some things. The throne, the scrolls, the people bowing down, and the people around the throne, even the songs, would have also been a part of the picture of what it was like to go in and see the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor, where all people bowed to him, where he was in the center of a room, where he was being bowed to, and his strength was there, and his scrolls were there, letting people know how wise and honored he is. His, his presence was powerful. And here, in this picture, Jesus is letting us know who is really on the throne. And it's not the emperor, and it's not his empire. It is God the Father and the Lion who was the Lamb who was slain and who is now worthy forever and ever. And this reorients us. This moves us and it moves some things around in our lives. Not just in the heavenlies, but here on earth as well as we learn to follow Jesus and we do our best to walk with Him. Even the songs that are sung here in Revelation 4 and 5 that are sung around the throne and are directed towards God where they should have been for all time. These would have been known, well known by these Roman Christians as well. The words, Holy One, Glory, the saying salvation belongs to you, the, the giving of authority to somebody, the, the saying worthy to receive power and righteousness are your judgments. These are all songs that would have been sung to the empire. And they would have been sung in empire worship. And here God takes these songs that were found in ancient literature and used for the express purpose of the empire Worship, God takes these words and He gives them their proper place in Himself. And this shapes us. It's as if God is saying, Your allegiance doesn't belong here, it belongs with me. And if we live this out, it changes us. So, as we've been in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, my prayer is that we may contemplate and absorb the picture that is given to us here that we will let it sink down and change us. That we pray each week. We pray this together. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and your will be done. Let us live that as well. Let us seek first the kingdom of God. A kingdom where we are worshiping priests and servants of the King of kings and Lord of lords who rules forever and ever. And then in this priesthood, in this job that we have, in this what we get to be about, this is where prayers and praises aren't afterthoughts. They're not the what's left after our actions don't succeed. But they are where we find our primary duty. We are being made into a people who offer an alternative to the rest of the world. And that is comes through prayer and directing our worship towards God. Not towards all the worries that are in this world. That doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to Him. It means we see Him and we know that when God comes back, when Jesus rules and reigns, this world will not be the same. We are a community that is not ruled in the same way as this world. Not ruled by power. We're not ruled by money. We're not ruled by our limited earthly understanding. 
But we are a community that is ruled by love and grace that comes from the one who's on the throne, from the lion and the lamb. Jesus lived for us. He died for us. He forgives us and is making us new and whole. Let us live into the newness that this picture gives us. And a part of this newness is the fact that we get to live in the light of Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and who God and Jesus are revealed to be forever and ever. And so Grace and Mercy Church, I pray, let us live in the light of that and worship Him forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.